We are in the house, Beyond Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. My name is Adam Childs with my boy, Kieran Lefebvre. Episode number of 45. Five. <laughs> 45. Good, good save, Kieran. Good five. What's up, bro? Man, having a good morning. I had to go get coffee. Yeah, I was it last episode or the one before? It was the last episode. You had no freaking coffee. Oh, wait, no. So- Two episodes ago, we had no coffee. And then last episode, we said we had coffee, but really I just scraped together the last of the beans in the machine. It felt like if you were one of those people who uh, like finds old cigarette butts and gets the little remainder of the tobacco. Who would do that? I don't know, bro. I grew up in Byron Bay. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. And, and never never heard of that. <laughs> never done that before. Dude, I was almost looking at like the, <laughs> what do you call the, um, I, I don't know what you call it, the bit where you put the used. Uh, Ashtray. No, I'm not talking about cigarettes anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the bit where you put like when you, when you take the basket, the coffee basket out of the espresso machine yeah. and like dump the. You know, oh, like yeah. the little it does have a name actually. It I has a, yeah, it has a proper name. I can't remember it. Anyway, the bit where you use the used coffee grounds or yeah, whatever. The spent grounds. Yeah, go in I, there. I was almost like I was almost like, I wonder if we could run enough <laughs> like run oh, another yeah, shot another, through them. Yeah. I was like, I need coffee. <laughs> and I had so little faith in you that I yeah. brought us coffee. But then you did get coffee. I, I got them. I got it this so, morning. So hang on, take some credit away from Kieran. When he says we've got coffee, it's because we're drinking the coffees that I brought. Yeah, but I got coffee beans. Yeah. So we'll have we'll one chew after. on those. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So uh, today, episode 40, what was it? Five. Five? 45. Good save, Kieran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about uh, things I, I wish I knew as a white belt, but more specifically, kind of, I guess it's a bit more personal. Yeah. And you can take, opposed to it just being like, here are the top five things every white belt should know. It's more Yeah, who would me- make a video like that? Yeah, some chump. <laughs> it's, it's more my personal advice as like me, myself, where I am now yeah. as a black belt, talking to little, little bitty Adam white belt. What, um, so it's more like personal things I wish I did differently or things yeah. I wish I knew or, you know, regrets, yeah. stuff like that. Shower more, like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Change, tra- change your face. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but before we go into that, you had something you were like, I'll save it for the air. What I totally, was it? I totally forgot. You forgot. <laughs> I, I got distracted with the coffee thing. It was something to do with coffee. I don't know. What was yours? Well, well yeah, I said as well something that I, I, I had to, to share. So it was. Oh, I remember mine now. <laughs> Do you want to go first? No, no, you can. No, you hang on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just had a – if you watch the video version of this podcast, which which some people do. Do you mean in the one on YouTube? Yeah, the one on YouTube. If you, <laughs> but if it's you not a know. video, right? Don't you just put the audio or are you putting the videos now? <laughs> I thought – What do we have the camera? Well, we have the camera. I thought it was just you wanted memories. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a weirdo. No, um, so for shout out to everyone on YouTube watching the video Hello. version. Now we're waving uh, of this this uh, podcast. You can watch that over on YouTube. Just type in Beyond Jiu Jitsu Podcast and you shall find it. But if you are a keen observer, you would notice that often 
Adam and I are holding pens, but we never I, write anything down. I, I just looked over and I was like, you just wrote pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the pens. Oh, I, I should have brought it up in a, in a better context, but it's it's like um, I think I can't remember who it was. I think it was Russell Brand. He was getting roasted or maybe it was um, – uh, no, I think it was Chael Sonnen actually. It was Chael Sonnen like years ago. He was doing an interview with some guy and he was getting roasted or something and they're going back and forth. And one of Chael's like comebacks was, why are you always holding a pen but you never write anything down? Right. And then I thought about that with you know with, with our um, show. We are always holding pens. You and I generally, you're not holding yours, which makes well, us yeah, joke last, worse. Yeah, and last, last episode I dropped my pen and yeah. I was like, I yeah, actually we thought you shit. stole it. I was like, I was like, the fuck? kid took my pen. <laughs> we're and always then it holding, was under the table. Yeah, we're holding pens. We always have paper, but we never write anything down. Yeah. Well, it started – sometimes we do have specific notes, right? Yeah. I mean – I guess my use of paper fluctuates to whether I remember to bring my laptop or not. Yeah, um, that's fair. And you usually have – you don't often write stuff during the episode, but you usually have a whole page stacked full of notes and yeah. stuff like that. Just so to keep us on track. Definitely keep, reading keep off it. Yeah. But I guess one of the things that I spent – I think we mentioned this in some, some previous episodes. I used to have a tally of the amount of times yeah. I said um and like. Yeah. And – I'm not sure if I've just given up on on counting the amount of times I say um and like, or if I've actually improved my podcast. Uh, You've definitely improved and, and, and stopped saying um and like as frequently. I one definitely thing still say it. I noticed that I was doing in the beginning. I was trying to have like a normal conversation, like when you were talking, just to be engaged with what you're saying. I'll be like, yeah, yep, yep. And then when I'm listening and editing the audio, I'm like, that's really annoying. Like during a podcast, you don't want to hear the other person, like. Uh, Within reason, every like two seconds, be like, yeah, yeah. So you're like, shut up, let him talk. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting because you know we we came into this. It's it's not as if you and I have uh, like presenting or radio backgrounds mm. or something like that, and you know, or interviewing backgrounds. And obviously, it's almost like one of those industries that a good interviewer or a good presenter or a good host, whether it's radio, television, whatever it is when they do the job really well, you kind of don't notice anything. Exactly. It's, uh, but when someone is really bad at interviewing someone or a really bad presenter, you notice. Mm. It makes me think of another thing. It makes me think of like costumes in films as well. You know, when a costume stands out, it's because it's been made poorly. Yeah. But when you don't really notice the clothes that the actor is wearing, like you're not, you're kind of not supposed to unless yeah. it's some – you know, period film or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Uh, so I think point. we're. I think that's a great. I analogy. think we're getting better. Yeah. I know. I should start using analogies more. Yeah, man. Uh, so the thing I was going to tell you, one or two episodes ago, I think it was only last episode, we you know mentioned that I was having surgery shortly. For those who didn't catch that episode, I have bone spurs in my left elbow which is essentially extra bone that you don't want to be there. So the surgeon goes in and grinds it back to allow mobility back into the joint. Caused essentially by jiu-jitsu, years of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, years of, years of jiu-jitsu. Boxers get the injury as well from constant compression and hyperextension of the elbow joint. So, yeah, I actually don't know if it's – no, I don't think it's the same thing as tennis elbow, I don't think. I think that's a tendonitis thing. Yeah, it is. It? It's tendon outside elbow. Right. Anyway – so I have that surgery tomorrow, right, for yeah, – we record in advance. So when you're listening to this, I'll be already on the mend. Yeah, this, anyway. this releases like 
in December. It's, it's like a week before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll already be back at it. Anyway, so I'm having this surgery. Uh, the, <laughs> the new news I found out only this morning. So I'm having that surgery tomorrow, which is November 18th when I'm having the, the surgery. I then get to have another surgery on November 29th. So that's fun. What? Yeah. Really? So uh, may, probably only probably my students know this, but a while back I had a surgery, like I had a deviated septum surgery. Yeah. If you don't know what that is, that's a surgery to straighten out your sinus, to clear your airways in your nose. It's quite a common surgery. Mm. Uh, however, it did not go to plan and there's been a persistent like issue right at the back of my sinus that we've tried to treat with medication over the last man. I can't remember when I had that surgery. Months ago. Like, it was before lockdown. So like yeah, we're so I had it, like six months ago. I don't ago, know, maybe, man. Four, it was in five. the first half of 2021 yeah, I had the surgery. Five, anyway. Five months ago? It didn't go to plan. So I need to go back in for another surgery on November 29th where, oh. they, where they have to so the, solve the problem that has not been able to be resolved with medication. Damn. So that kind of sucks. However- you know, I'm not that bummed about it because it's not like I'm having my elbow surgery, recovering from that and being like, yeah, I can roll and then needing this sinus surgery. Doing it back to back. Yeah, Yeah, I'm essentially doing them, you know, uh, just under two weeks apart. By the time that I'm able to roll again and recovered from the elbow, I should be recovered from the sinus surgery. It's not as extreme as a deviated septum because they're not structurally rebuilding your sinus. In this surgery, he's just going like right in the back and essentially removing something. Yeah, right. Bit of your brain. Yeah, bit of my brain. Yeah. Yeah. He was looking at the CT scan. It was just this morning. And I was like, what's that bit there? And he's like, oh, you don't want to take that out. (laughs) I was like, all right, you can leave that. He's like, yeah, that's... brain on the other side of that and i was like okay cool (laughs) yeah so i mean it sucks a little bit but i'm also i was i didn't know if there was uh you know you can't have two general anesthetics within x amount of time like i was thinking that i wasn't sure if if it was then by default oh you're having elbow surgery Let's you know, tomorrow. So we've no. I thought it was going to be like, oh, you got to wait two months, like yeah. until you can have a. That was going to suck. Yeah. But the fact that I'm getting it done ten days later means okay. I'm I'm pretty much going to recover from both at the same time. Okay. You know, so, I think actually the sinus one is quite quick. He said, I think two weeks post surgery you can already exercise and do a bit of grappling. Sweet. But I'm I'm not even going to be ready to do that yet because of my elbows. Well, I remember so. when you got your previous surgery, like you know, you, you were good to go, but it was still very like sensitive. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like, you I, couldn't I, like I mean, have your my son, notes like, touched. Punch you in the face or so like smacked in the head oh, or something like that. There was like a that. bit where Atlas kicked like, you or something. yeah, we were in the playground and my son's like two and a half. Uh, and yeah, like I, I leant over to, to grab something off the ground or whatever it was. And he just ran past and cause of obviously he's, short like his his forehead just went straight into my nose as he ran past as i was pick bent over picking something up yeah man yeah and he head butted me and stuff anyway (laughs) yeah so i mean it sucks but that's cool i mean you gotta do what you gotta do yeah 100 percent. yeah so what uh knowing everything that you know what would you tell white belt white belt adam prepare for surgeries (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so yeah like I said at the wait, start. Wait, wait, wait. I need to clarify something. Sorry. Is this day one, White Belt Adam, or is this like 
you know, senior white belt, about to get your blue belt out of me. Two different people. Uh, God, man, I can't even – I don't even remember if my if at the time I got stripes at white belt. Did I? I don't know, bro. Yeah, I think I did. Let's just go <coughs> middle of the Middle, two-stripe white <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I'm actually curious. Do you already – I mean, as someone who's at the towards the end of being a white belt, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you got a green white belt coming your way. You saw that. You saw the reel. Do, is there already things that I don't don't think like oh things I wish I knew? Mm. Because of course you already you could do a week oh, yeah. of jujitsu and be like oh I wish I knew this on day one. Oh yeah, just, but is just there gotcha. things that you know hypothetically time travel that you would tell? you know, one stripe, Kieran, is there already things in your, in, in the, the bigger picture, your short period of time training mm. that you would wish you could tell younger Kieran? Not younger Kieran. I Start guess. a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, look, man, I don't know. Hey, I don't know if there's, there's some things I would tell. I mean, outside of the obvious, like, hey, study fucking this Kimura grip or study right. study this position because I'm going to learn it anyway. Um, I'd probably – honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Probably the biggest thing would be to train lunches and 6.30 class. Yeah, which is a new up. revolution for yeah. you. But, I mean, logistically I couldn't because I was, you know, nine to five. Charming. Work for the Navy. <laughs> yeah, that's way better. <laughs> yeah, I was working in the Navy, so I couldn't really train when I would like which was a big part of why I left really um, amongst other reasons. So that would be a revelation, but something that I couldn't really enact. So thinking back to when I was in the Navy, um, I think, I don't know, maybe just say it's going to get better. Like not, <laughs> not like, like, oh, your life's going to get better. Just hang in there. Silver lining. More like, Hey, you know, it's going to get better. Your jujitsu is going to get better. And um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Not that I was having a hard time. Like, you know, you're going to get better. And uh, don't worry when people say you're strong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so strong. Oh, someone your legs someone are said so to long. me, um, I know they don't listen to the podcast. So someone said to me yesterday, like they were, it was in conversation. I don't think they were trying to be insulting, but it was really insulting. They were like, yeah, but with your jujitsu, you can just brute force your way into things. So it doesn't matter for you, sort of thing. And I I'm already like, know who that was and I'm like, without, no, without like, you oh, telling Yeah, fair enough, man. But come on. <laughs> I'm pretty technical. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, yeah, when people when people <laughs> when people say stuff like, oh, so you just muscle it. Mm. And it's like like I I get where the person's coming from. But sometimes a technique does require a huge amount of muscle. Mm. And the example I always give is I say, Oh yeah, because do you think that, you know, that that boxer lands that knockout blow? softly and gently like and he doesn't know man like there's a huge amount of muscle and force behind it with technique you know like yeah i hate that anyway <laughs> anyway so yeah i mean if, if i look back to younger me uh you know the the one advice that i wouldn't need to give is the whole moving to brazil because i obviously did that yeah. you know and i wouldn't have been able to move earlier i if i could give myself it's not so much advice it's something that that I lacked which was I guess the advice would be to tell younger self to invest the time into the mental side of competition 
because I've always been quite successful in jiu-jitsu competitively. I mean, people know not as successful as I would have liked to have been and, you know, I didn't win world titles or anything like that. But the competitions that I've done, I've always done relatively well. However, in my competition arsenal, the weakest link has always been the mental side of, of, of competition, which is a huge part of any competitive environment. You know, there's not only just like the mental games, but the mental toughness and things like that. And I think one of the biggest things I wish I did as someone who was trying to pursue the, the competitive career and, and that, that path of jiu-jitsu is I wish I, I learned more about the mental side of competing and how to, be, how to have a competitive mindset and how to be uh, mentally strong in competition. And, you know, essentially I wish I could tell younger Adam, hey, man, maybe you want to invest into, you know, not life coaching, but, you know, there's – successful athletes who have, uh, you know, for example, like there's people like Michael Jordan who would ring Tony Robbins like mm. before a big game. Like there's very successful athletes who still have, you know, not a therapist or psychologist, I don't know, like a sports coach or a mental coach, whatever the the correct term is. I don't know what it is. If you know, I think it's a, sports psychologist. A sports, thank you. Yeah, yeah, sports psychologist. Like, you know, I wish I could tell younger self like, maybe not necessarily white belt, but like blue belt Adam when I was, I had a room full of like the best team in the world telling mm. me, dude, you're the best blue belt in the world. Like you should, you know, I, um, I kind of never had the, the strongest competition mindset or, or self belief maybe you could say. So I wish I could have invested more in that and whether that meant speaking to a sports psychologist or because I mean I remember towards the end of my time in Brazil like even Michael Lange who was already a three-time black belt world champion had a sports psychologist you know that he worked with before competitions and stuff like that so this is someone who's already established as one of the best in the world you know whereas I was just like a little blue belt that's definitely one of the things that I wish I invested more in. It's things that now I've learned as I've spent more time in jiu-jitsu, as I've competed more, as I've coached people through competitions, as I've seen people come and go, people succeed, people fail. Like all these, all these experiences has now brought me to what I feel is a really good place to, to stand from a coaching point of view and really help other people not have those same issues that I had. I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying I'm a sports psychologist, but uh, I've, I think I've passed through a lot of experiences as someone who didn't naturally have a strong competition mind. You know, I've had to learn how to, how to have that. And I wish I learned it as a white or blue belt, but you know, some people naturally have it. So I think maybe it then may be a little harder to pass on the, you know, how to guide someone through some of the mental issues. If you can do it naturally, quote yeah, unquote, right. naturally it, becomes exactly. natural like if, it, if it's never been an issue for yeah. you, you never had to overcome that. You, it's harder to relate to someone who's yeah. struggling with that, yeah. you know? It's the same with like personal trainers that, you know, if they've lost a substantial amount of weight and then put on like a lot of muscle and change their life around, you know, a lot of the time, depending on the individual, they can be the best motivational coaches for 
for others, you know, because they've been in that situation. Yeah, because they've, they've had to go through it themselves. Exactly, exactly. So I think one thing about this that you've passed on to me that's really helped recently, and I think you said it on air, and it was along the lines of when you were preparing with JT and you did those hectic sessions in the park, getting ready for um, for that big competition in, in Brazil. Like yeah, the, which was the, yeah, the selectives for me to yeah, win a ticket to the US, yeah. Right, um, and you were preparing for that and – because of the preparation you went through for that, you said in your mind, like, there's no way that whoever I'm rolling with, like whoever I'm competing with, there's no way that they're less tired than I am. There's no way I'm more tired than they are yeah, because yeah. I know the preparation I've been through. There's no way. It's not possible. And I've been doing that just in the gym, like implementing that mind, that mantra, if you will, when I'm, when I'm gassed out, and I have that little voice that wants to just, you know, oh, don't worry about it. Don't don't try and pass so hard. It's There's only like three minutes left. You just coast or whatever. Or like I'm f- like, you know, digging into the hurt locker during a roll. I've just been telling myself like there's no fucking way this person is is uh, less tired than I am yeah, right now. Yeah. Like, there's no way. I'm. Yeah, that was definitely the fittest I've, I've ever been. And yeah, I. I remember like it, I've it's helped a lot. I've almost ne- I've never had a, a belief as strong as mm. that at that moment where I was like there, there is no way. Mm. Like, I was gasped but I was like there's there's just no way. It's yeah. not possible that that I'm more tired than this guy. It's not possible that, the amount yeah, of work really that I did. Even if it's not true like you know I'm convinced that it is, you know, in that moment cuz I'm just I don't know. That's one of my biggest assets yeah. is fitness. That's just the biggest asset that I bring. Yeah. So. And I, yeah, I wish I did, uh, you know, another tool on the same uh, sort of the same point as competition mindset and things like that is, you know, learning how to do visualization is super, super strong. This, it's almost, it's almost like gaslighting yourself. Do you visualize right? winning or, or are you talking about visualizing as in, because one thing I've been doing a lot recently and I don't know if it's just because I'm at the level now where I can do it is I'll visualize techniques all day, like all I the I mean, time. I used to do that quite organically when, right. you know, cause when you're, when you're earlier in your jujitsu journey, it's just so much new information all the time. Right. It's just yeah. like, it's, it's just hard to not have that information yeah. flowing through your brain because it's just there at the forefront of your brain the whole time. So it's not like, I mean, for me, it would just happen organically whether I wanted to be thinking about jujitsu or not. Yeah. It just did, right? Like it was just there. But I mean, are you visualization. Able like, are you able to problem solve by visualizing? Yeah, but then extent? it doesn't always, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't always, always work out. Work out. Yeah. There's times that I'll be like, maybe I could do this. Yeah, that could work. And then you get in the gym and you're like, man, can I try this on you? And you're like, Oh yeah, that doesn't bend that way, yeah. you know. <laughs> like, and it does. It doesn't work, you know. Yeah, you don't have three legs. What's <laughs> yeah. going on here? <laughs> uh, but no, I more mean like visualizing for competition, where you know it just helps solidify this belief, you know, in yourself and visualizing, you know, visualizing whatever it is how the how the fight plays out, you know. So I might like close my eyes and literally just over and over just visualize, you know, yeah, I'm going to do this takedown and pass and like, and there's my hand getting raised or visualizing standing on top of the podium or, or whatever it is. Uh, that's a super, super strong tool, you know, and 
again, I'm not a sports psychologist, but I believe it's something that sports psychologists swear by a lot. Yeah, it is, which is, yeah, which is visualization. So in my particular job in the Navy, we had access to performance coaching because for those that don't know, I was a maritime warfare officer who specialized in um, uh, navigation effectively. I was an intermediate navigator. Um, so during MO training or maritime warfare officer training, it's kind of like the we're up there with pilots in insofar as how much it costs to train us. So they put a lot of energy and a lot of money into us and our training is actually longer than pilots, uh, in Navy pilots that is. So they, they give us access to performance coaches that come in and do like a personality assessment and, and give you, you know, all sorts of tools and tips and tricks and visualization was one of their big ones, right. like to help people that, you know, cause we get assessed sort of, you know, pretty critically throughout the training and it culminates in a, in a very lengthy assessment period um, that can be incredibly stressful. And I've seen people that are very competent just crumble under pressure. So yeah, visualization is one of, one of their biggest tools to utilize is that, you know, visualize the, the um, simulator run that you have to do, visualize the assessment, visualize what you're going to do and, and you know, all, all of that. So yeah. Yeah, super strong tool. Yeah, for performance, 100%. Uh, one of the other things that, this is, I guess, so the, the previous things I mentioned, people could just take as advice anyway. Uh, one of the things that I wish, I this is very specific to me. I'm not suggesting everyone takes this on board, but uh, I wish I wasn't, I wish I didn't care so much and I wish I wasn't as nice to people as I was like during my training. And I don't mean that as in be a dickhead, you know, but when you're in a com- if you if you want to be the best in the world i mean you have there's there's no buts about it you kind of have to be a little bit selfish you have a little bit's an understatement you have to be you have to be quite selfish and i was surrounded by a group of people who were extremely selfish not and i don't mean that in a negative way i know it's kind of like the word itself has negative connotations like i was training with a lovely bunch of people but when you know when training started when competition training started i'm talking about the competition team not just you know i'm just i'm rocking up to a beginner's class when the competition class started you know every individual on the mat they cared more about their own training than their training partners and it's not like people did things to intentionally hurt each other or or things like that but at the end of the day like you know, yeah, I want my training partners to get better too, but everyone was way more invested in themselves. Of course, why, you know, they're there so they can get better at jujitsu. Yes, they also want their teammates to get better because that also helps them get better. But, you know, uh, it wasn't an environment where people would necessarily, you know, oh, I'm going to take five minutes out of my training session to help you with something, you know, when, like, I'll give you an example. There were, let's say in the competition class, I remember there was a time when I was quite fresh back after a knee surgery. And this guy, Edson, who I trained with not all the time, but we were similar-ish weight, but he was a blue belt world champion. Uh, He was always like a belt above me. So whenever, if I was a purple belt, he was a brown belt, like I'm super, super tough. I think in the whole time I was there, I passed his guard like once, you know, Edson was super tough, very high level guy. And I remember I was, I can't remember what belts we were, but 
it was, I was still not a hundred percent back from a surgery. And he was like, Adam, you want to roll? Uh, and I was like, oh man, but yeah, I, like I kind of can't go hard. And so he was like, okay, don't worry about it. Like he didn't want to roll with me unless it was proper hard competition rolling because I'm being kind of detrimental. So he didn't care like, hey, you know, I'll help Adam out and like give him a nice light roll because he's recovering from a surgery. He's like, no, no, no. Like I need hard competition rolls because like I want to get better and yeah. this is competition training. Do you know what I mean? I so know, in, mean, in yeah. that regard, it was a room full of selfish people, but I didn't feel I put myself like – first all the time you know i know this i'm trying to explain this without just saying sounding like a complete wank you know but i wish i yeah was a little bit more prioritized my training and my my goals a bit more than just kind of trying to keep everyone happy and not rock the boat or whatever because i mean man People didn't like me there anyway. So like <laughs> it probably took like four years before, you know, I felt like I was really sort of welcomed into the group of competitors. Like I think I've spoken about this before. It was just myself and this guy called Ali. We were the only two foreigners who lived there. And yeah, this was the internet still existed, but it wasn't the world wasn't as integrated as it is today. And so we were kind of seen as these gringos, as these foreigners who were like stealing the jujitsu from, from Alliance, like it's this, you know, closed doors just for the team sort of atmosphere. So we were kind of treated like outsiders, even though we lived there and trained there full time. It took years before Ali and I were kind of, you know, treated as peers, I guess. So people didn't like me anyway. So I should have just like been like the fuck you guys and, you know, and, tra and trained really hard and whatnot. Yeah. But that's very individual advice for me. That's like looking back at my time and just wishing that that I cared a little less about other people and, and put more focus on on my own uh, progression. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Particularly when you consider the environment you're in. It's not like you were just, you know, at your local jiu-jitsu gym, you know, wherever you so happen to live or, or worked or something. You know, you, you went to Brazil to pursue a career. And you were there to to train at a high level at the best gym in the world. So what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's not, you know, we're not giving advice to white belts out there to, you know, next time you go train with your training partners, just fucking try and smash them as hard as you yeah, can. Yeah, it's not what something. I'm saying at all. Yeah. yeah, it's completely, that's that's missing the point. You were there for a very specific purpose with a specific goal, with a very specific team as well that was there for the same goal. Yeah, and I mean, anyone who would... Anyone who is disagreeing or not understanding what I'm saying right now, uh, you suck. No, <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> no, I would, I would argue that uh, you just haven't ever really experienced training in a, in a competitive environment. And if you're still disagreeing with me, being like, yeah, man, I have. No, you haven't, mm -hmm. right? Like it's kind of like that moron we spoke about the other day who says the best guys in the world only train twice a week. What yeah. a, what a fucking idiot. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you, yeah, man, look, go train at a top competitive team and yeah, you know, once the timer ends, that might be all friends and whatnot, but during competition class, man, people don't want it. It's like, they don't give an inch like Eddie's, Competition class at a highly competitive, successful team slash gym 
And it's all, yeah, like I would get sometimes with particular training partners, the same nerves I would get before a competition, even though it's a training partner just in the gym, you know, it would be like some roles were that intense and, you know, some training partners not as much with, but there were certain training partners where I wouldn't say there was animosity between us, but we didn't necessarily like each other, you know, like we weren't there to be friends. Like, I mean, we respected each other, but like, didn't mean we had to be friends. You know, it's the same as like, you know, cause for a lot of us, it was our job, right? The exact same way that when you go to work, man, you don't have to be friends with the person you work with, but if you're a decent human being, you're gonna be, while they're your colleague, you're gonna be polite to them. Yeah, man, and I like what, any of my colleagues in the Navy. <laughs> did you all, not actually? Like, did all you all fucking suck it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them. But, but yeah, nah, they were right. everyone, were everyone right. listening would have people that they work with or have worked with mm. that they couldn't care less if they never saw again. Yeah. But while you're at work with them and working with them. Sure, you get along fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have to, you, you have to interact with them and, mm. and be polite with them or you should do at least, right? So, uh, yeah, if you're not grasping what I'm saying, you just have not really trained in a full competitive environment, you know? And uh, it's like the same in business, you know? You look at super successful businessmen, they don't make it to the top without stepping on some people. To yeah, get 100%. There, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like being uh, disagreeable is a um, personality trait that's associated with success in certain fields. So, like, yeah. being, you know, disagreeable nature. Yeah. So I, I wish for me individually, I was, I was a bit better at that. And I think that like for my personal advice, they're just essentially having, being a bit more selfish to improve my, my progression in jujitsu as well as uh, like working on my competitive mindset. I feel like competition results as a whole are kind of the only things in jujitsu I didn't achieve that I wish I had, mm. you know, like I achieved, I'm still to today. I think, yeah, I'm still currently the only Australian to receive a black belt from, from Fabio Gogel. Uh, I'm the only non South American to have ever taught on maybe not now, sorry, but at the time, you know, I was the only non South American to teach, jiu-jitsu at the alliance headquarters in sao paulo you know i own my own gym uh with, with my wife you know i now live making a career with jiu-jitsu so i've uh, i have more goals that i want to achieve but i've achieved the only thing that kind of besides my future goals the only past goals i didn't achieve was as much competition success as i would have liked to and uh you know, I think those two things are for me personally the biggest bits of advice that I wish I could tell White Belt to Adam address that goal. To ad yeah, yeah, to address that goal. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Something I wish I did as well. Just <laughs> I wish I had my first knee surgery bloody straight away. I wish I did that when yeah. I blew out my first knee. I uh, spent probably nine months trying to avoid surgery, just doing rehab for it eventually to just completely fall apart and then have to have the surgery. Wish I just did that surgery day one, bro. Yeah, that's day that's one. another point that, like, as you were talking, I've been you know reflecting on on things, you know, advice that I would give myself. I was about <laughs> to say my white belt self myself. <laughs> so we can talk about it now. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's 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 weird for me in this position. It's like, what would you tell your white belt self? Well, I am a white belt self. So what would I tell myself now, sort of thing? Or like, yeah. what what do I wish that I focused on previously? But I think some of the points that I started to 
you know, come up with a, a holes in my game at the moment. But if I was to focus exclusively on those or like tell myself back then to, hey, focus on this, would I have neglected all the other stuff that I'm comfortable with? Like, for example, I had um, sweeps, focus on sweeps because I'm not super confident with sweeps from close guard or like even like, yeah, I can get some. I got a couple that I can, you know, I'm pretty confident with that, I, you know, one in particular I hit on Ollie the other day. Haha. Ha. Um, yeah, suck it, Ollie. Suck it. Uh, so, you know, some sweeps. Ollie's a purple belt of ours that yeah. I watched you the other day. I, I don't know if I caught the sweep, but I watched you pass him, yeah. mount him, throw on a mounted triangle, yeah. which ended up then you being on the bottom like a regular triangle, but like tapped him. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> love you, Ollie. But it was funny. And the reason he was so mad is because we started with him passing my guard. And being on, mounting me. That's right. And you yeah, got out. He, yeah, he yeah, mounted yeah. me. I um, swept from from uh, bottom side mount, passed him, submitted him, <laughs> mounted <laughs> him. Like yeah. So it, the the position was reversed, um, which is which is bittersweet uh, for me and uh, for Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> just bitter for Ollie, yeah, just right? Bitter, yeah, without the sweet. Um, so yeah, what I'm trying to say is, if I tell myself back then, hey, focus on this, would I have neglected all the other stuff that I feel really confident with, like passing, for example? Mm. Um, but yeah, so sweeps is something that I'm still trying to work on. I just, I think I'm a, I'm probably better than I think I am, but I'm just not confident. If mm. that makes sense, I'm not like I don't believe in myself in in those positions. Like, so yeah, I, I want to work on that. And another point is is focus on concepts. Now, what I mean by that is you've you've said a lot of time, like there's been a couple of light, well, a lot of light bulb moments when you're trying to teach me a new thing. For example, with pressure passing. Um, I remember once when we were doing like training, I think it was just you, me and Andreas, uh, Andreas Brownbelt, um, ages ago. And you, you were talking about operating between the knee and the hip. And mm. like, so that sort of concept, now that I understand that concept, maybe I'm in a position where I don't know the specific technique, but if I focus on operating and controlling that portion of my opponent's legs, then I will pass. Yeah, so... This is what I what I want to avoid is I don't want to say anything, you know, anything that is just has no weight behind it. What I mean by that is I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, advice to white belt Adam, you know, buy Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, or. That's excellent advice <laughs> back yeah. then. Yeah. Or something like, oh, man, you know, focus on leg locks. Yeah. You know, uh, but. Maybe in the future this will sound like it's advice like that, but we'll do an episode a bit more in depth on it in the future. But, yeah, this focusing on concepts, it's a big shift in how jiu-jitsu is being learnt now. And and I I strongly believe that, you know, the the concept thing gets gets thrown around a lot, the word. So let me explain what I mean and and why I believe that focusing on concepts is super important. At the moment you're seeing guys who are, man, like 17 years old, 18, 19 years old, who are, you know, going toe-to-toe or sometimes beating very well-established current world champion black belts, right? And it's not like, oh, yeah, but because he's younger. I'm not saying like the 18-year-old's beating a 50-year-old. It's like they're beating maybe like a guy in his late 20s or his early 30s where they're still, you know, in their physical prime, right? And you you look at that and you think, well, that kind of doesn't add up. Like the, the younger guy hasn't been on the planet 
long enough to have learnt as much jujitsu as this guy. You know, regardless of how many sessions he's putting in, you know, the other guy's been training three times a day, every day for 20 years. This guy's been doing it for 10 years. Like how? And, and I've already seen this shift in the way that I learnt jujitsu, the way jujitsu is now being taught, the way that I have changed the way that I start to teach, which is focusing much more on concepts because if you can fully understand a concept of a particular position that gives you an incredibly solid foundation for then your techniques to be built on top of so previously things were kind it's like there were certain techniques that were taught as your fundamental fundamental foundational techniques that everything else needed to be built on top of whereas now i believe it's better to fully teach and understand a concept of a position or a technique, right? And then on top of that, your technique can be taught. When you have that understanding, you don't have to learn as many techniques. So opposed to previously, it was like, let's say, you know, some trivial number like, oh, you know, like Lucas Lepre has these, you know, 120 different passing sequences and details to pass or whatever, some random number like that. So a younger person isn't alive long enough to learn all that shit. There's not enough time in the day. Whereas they just have this fundamental, you know, ingrown understanding of this concept that on top of that, they only need like a handful of actual techniques because it's the concept that, that, that allows them to successfully apply said technique. And it can of course get incredibly complicated, but you know, this methodical like step one, step two, blah, 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 blah. I don't, it doesn't need to be that complicated. It can be, it can get that complicated. Like anything, the, the higher the level, the more complicated it's gonna get. But I'll give you an example. So it helps kind of make it a bit clearer. If we're talking, let's say, the, the example that you mentioned of operating in between the hip and knee, like in the thigh area, that's specifically when we were talking about this sort of chest forward, pressure passing, keeping your feet really far away style of passing, right? Now we could go down one route and go, okay, you know, every time my opponent makes this, you know, minute movement, I'm going to do this, then I'll do this, then he does this and da, 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 like the back and forth, which still has its place, right? But rather than that, I want to teach this concept of taking ownership and control of that position. And if, if I can teach you to operate in between his thigh and knee, right, it's kind of like if you and I were playing a game of, of, um, of whatever field sport, doesn't matter, soccer, rugby, basketball, hockey, whatever it is, right? And if I can keep the ball in your half – of the court or the field for the majority of the game, by default, more like you're on the defensive, I'm on the offensive, more goal scoring opportunities are going to become available for me, right? Because the ball is always in your half of the court, right? And so that's the concept of that particular position that I'm, that I'm trying to, to push forward. So then when you really understand that and it becomes autonomous, you don't need to know a million step sequence to pass, right? 
because you can just kind of go for one or two sequences and it doesn't work, but you're just constantly operating and pushing forward in that zone, more goal scoring opportunities are going to become available, right? Another concept that's much more well-known and easily understood is with leg locks and, and heel hooks is controlling the knee line, right? Uh, you know, if I want to heel hook you, I need your knee line. If you're trying to escape the position, you need to clear your knee line. So that's just like a very black and white concept, right? Obviously, on top of that concept, you then build your kind of complicated techniques. But, you know, it's just by shortcutting that and instead of going into this really complicated sequence of, oh man, I'm going for a heel hook, I'm losing your knee line, so now I do this to get it back and da 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 Yeah, I can take that route, but if I'm trying to catch up to someone and compete against someone who has 10 more years of learning these you know, million step sequences, I'm never going to catch up to him. Whereas I can just go, well, don't, don't lose the knee line. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, so that takes, it's kind of like position over submission, right? That takes precedent, that concept in that position. And, you know, some positions have multiple concepts that you need to understand. So focusing on concepts, I believe is the best way. I don't want to say it's like a hack, but it's just, you know. Shortcut. It is a shortcut. Well, I don't even think shortcut's the right word. It's just more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that's the best way to, to describe it and to summarize it, if you will. It's, you know, it's and, efficient. And, and some of them, you know, like let's say, let's look at Gordon Ryan's passing sequences that um, some of the part, like he has multiple. Gordon Ryan's obviously we're talking about the best of the best in, in, in no-gi grappling. But if you look at some of his videos with Bernardo when he's doing his passing sequences and stuff, yes, you could sit down with Gordon and get him to lay out that million-step sequence because he's you're talking about the best in the world. But a lot of when you watch a, a video of his, it's not even necessarily this this step-by-step sequence. Like you can pretty much just summarize it to, okay, so he, he just – he just pummels and makes sure he has inside control, mm. right? And then from there, he like connects that to whatever pass he wants to do. So it's like the concept of pummeling to have inside control and then that leads him to a body lock, a knee cut, or whatever the pass is he wants to do. And you can apply this to so many different areas. Like, yeah. Like I remember I did, uh, I went away and, you know, did some stuff with Jeremy, like early days of jiu-jitsu and I came back and then you're like, you, you know, and just by, un- he taught me one concept was like inside control with a knee shield or something like that from from open guard and that just leveled up at the time because i knew from you know going from nothing to something you know or not nothing but you know what i mean like being given a concept just hey just focus on this and and go with it where you will now there's a million and one ways to maintain that knee shield there's a million and one ways to you know progress from there and and what have you but just understanding that concept maintain inside control with your knee and your arms inside uh, in in that open guard, and that that's how you play that position. Yeah, yeah, and so I'll you know it's something that I I'd like to do a whole episode on at, at some stage because we can talk about different concepts for different positions. I think we but, should. Yeah. But I mean, we even the the episode that came out. Uh, what was it? Hang on, hang on, Kieran. Yep, yep. Calm down. Uh, episode 35, which was released on 16th of November, Escaping Side Control and Mount. It's not that hard, yeah. right? And in that episode, I talked a little bit about 
the concepts of you know your hip mobility and your shoulder mobility and yeah, yeah. use your hips to free your shoulders use your, use your shoulders, shoulders to free, free your hips. hips right and it's yeah sometimes it's super complicated but i th- i believe i probably mentioned this in that episode but it's kind of like when you look at wrestlers why wrestlers are so hard to hold down is because they come from this this sport that they lose the match if their shoulders are pinned you know so it's kind of like if I said to you, Kieran, all right, Kieran, I'm going to put you in a role. Like, you know, I don't care what happens. I don't care how many times you get tapped. You just win if you don't end up with your shoulders on the mat inside control or something ridiculous like that, right? You would, I bet you, you wouldn't end up inside control, you know? Like, and so understanding concepts is so crucial to, to really getting good at jujitsu nowadays because it's, it's, moved a little bit away from this really methodical, you know, step-by-step, right? Because there's some people that are just so inherent in in understanding their concepts that you can never get their knee line because they've got this, you know, no matter what, they always clear their knee line or whatever the position is. And more concepts you understand, the more, even if you don't know the specific technique your opponent is going for, if you understand the concepts that surround the position that you're in, you'll be able to identify, oh, okay, so he's trying to attack this because he's looking for that, that control. That's exactly right. So, so you understand things without knowing what they are. So I'll, so I'll give you another example of a concept that is maybe a little less well-known. When you bearing bolo someone, right, similar to heel hooks, you need their knee line, right? Because controlling their knee line is what gives you the control of their hip to bearing bolo them, right? So let's say you're getting bearing boloed by someone. Man, bearing bolo players have incredibly complicated bearing bolo sequences that I don't know them, right? Like I'm not a bearing bolo player and they go, man, they invert so much and it gets really complicated and they do it incredibly well. But exactly like you said, I don't need to know the sequence they're doing but if I, if I just know, man, if, if I can clear my knee line, he can't bearing bowl on me. It's not like he can't. He could then reconnect it and recapture my knee line, of course. It's not like, mm. you know, oh, but I clear, clear my knee line. Yeah, harder. but he – yeah, right? Or they can turn it into a leg drag and then from the leg drag, these guys reinvert and retake your knee line and lots of stuff. But that in that particular moment, I don't know what he's doing short of that he's trying to bearing bowl on me. Freaking clear my knee line – now he either can't bearing bowler you or he has to do a whole nother set of movements to re-bearing bowler you, mm. right? And so fucking get amongst the concepts, bro. Yeah. I recently saw a, a, a very a, – an article that essentially – I didn't read the article because it was from our very reputable – what is it? BJJ Eastern Europe. They're awesome, man. Don't, don't knock them. Shut published. up, Karen, just because they publish you. Yeah. <laughs> and, Check um, them out. yeah and it was essentially titled a similar thing like you know learn concepts or focus on concepts yeah you know and that's definitely advice that everyone can take right you don't have to you can maybe ignore my uh i wish i was more selfish advice uh but if you're someone i don't know you're pretty fucking selfish (laughs) yeah (laughs) no kidding yeah yeah, i didn't even bring you a coffee it was just water in a cup (laughs) spat in it yeah Yeah. one one point that i have as well um and I mean, I can't, I cannot even, we, we can't even spend too much time on it. We can't even overstate how important concepts are. But one thing I want to tie to that is anatomy. And I've had a few light, light bulb moments about this. And particularly, particularly when people like yourself or when Toyu does it really well, Jeremy Skinner, 
and talks about different jujitsu submissions and positions and what have you and referencing anatomy and what sort of is bringing this to the forefront of my mind is is uh yesterday we we're doing uh straight footlocks um and different yeah different straight footlocks different variants the way you're describing like how the breaking mechanics works the position the you know the the fucking ankles connected to the knee connected to the hip you control this you control you control the whole system that sort of that sort of concept right and and um and like how different different grips on different parts of your body will control other parts because they're connected. An example is um, if you want to control someone's uh, forearm, right? You want to control their, their their arm effectively. You would grab in a lot of positions. You would grab over the knuckles of their hand because then when they're trying to break free of that grip, the loose position or, or what's giving them flex and, and ability to move and what they have to fight against is their wrist, right? Yeah. So yeah. they have slack effectively in in their ability to pull away from your grip however if you grab their wrist they have the strength of now their tricep their bicep and their elbow tendon to pull that away so yeah, and be the weak easier. point becomes your grip exactly yeah. exactly so by understanding those concepts but also tying those concepts to understanding not a, not you know i said anatomy but it doesn't need you don't need to understand anatomy anatomy you just understand basic points of leverage you know, apply technique, leverage, some, some yeah, of these you, things. Yeah, you definitely you need to understand like the, you know, the biomechanics of, yes, how, biomechanics, of, of, yeah. how, the, of how the body works. That's a better and way you don't, to put you it. don't need to geek out too hard on yeah. it. You know, like you don't need to- Grip the metal you know, tassels. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like when people, um, you know, in the, in the leg lock game, they always talk about, I even forget the words, but instead of just saying when someone's- to, Toes are pointed or flexed. Yeah. They say dorsiflexion, flex plantar flexion. Plantar flexion. Yeah. Fuck, bro, just say pointed or flexed, like the, <laughs> like, the, like a regular person. You well, know? that's what that's what Jeremy. That's how Jeremy describes it, and he'll say like, grab the metatarsals and and place the foot into plantar flexion, and yeah, and I, this okay. will create tension in in this joint. He's like, but then again, he's he's you know he's selling instructionals on it, and um, he's going to the next level. You don't need to use those words to describe the same position. Just he does it. Yeah, uh, look, this, uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't need to be. You don't yeah, need you just to learn. Like a wake up. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need to learn that level of yeah. of anatomy. But you don't understanding need- the biomechanics, like the, the the wrist example, is brilliant. And yeah. once once I understood that concept of biomechanics, yeah. then it made oh, things easier for yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's yeah. That's a, a lesser known position, and and I mean, it's a very obvious mechanic when you explain it. But you know. Uh, a more well-known one is like when you're trying to pass half guard or something and you've got head control. If mm. I've got their head facing one way, their hips facing the other, it doesn't, it twists the spine a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't crank the spine, but it unaligns the spine, right? And it makes their whole, the mechanics of their whole body and their legs and yeah. their hips and their back and everything weaker. Yeah. It's the same way that like, you can't have your hips and head facing opposite directions when you do a deadlift, yeah. right? Because like you're not mechanically strong. You need everything linear to be uh, pressing or lifting or yeah. squatting, right? And so it's just understanding that that's how the body works, right? Yeah. Fucking science, bitches. Yeah, right? You got to understand yeah. a little bit and then even just the concept of understanding the mechanics of the body and I don't understand it as well as yeah someone like Lockie who has a who's a fully fledged physiotherapist has a PhD in 
what did he do his PhD in? I think in like knee surgeries or recoveries, rehab, something like that. Anyway, he someone like that, or someone about Lachlan who, Giles. Yeah, yeah, or someone like Mikey Musumeshi, who super geeks out. Mm. They would know way more than me, but mm. you still need to understand the concept of the mechanics of the body, and then because just understanding that concept, you might not know what you're trying to do, but you un, you know you can to some extent figure out where the weakest link is, and in any position. You could think of it as as like a closed chain, a closed circuit, right? If you took a photo of whatever position and had it as a closed circuit, there's going to be one particular link in that circuit will be the weakest, right? Yeah, and it's your ability to identify and then exploit it. Yeah, and make sure that the weakest link is on them. Not on you. And if it is on you, make sure that weak link is protected. Yeah, that's a brilliant way to put it. And when I think... This week I've had this real revelation. It's this sport, and we talk about it a lot. It's like playing chess with human bodies, right? But it's like playing a game of chess, but your opponent can move your pieces too. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. It's it's playing a game of, of human chess where yeah, the opponent has free range to manipulate your your pieces. That's that's a that's a really good analogy. <laughs> but when you when you look at it right, this sport is one human versus another human is utilizing our bodies. And by understanding concepts, you're able to, you know, manipulate positions. But the big missing link for me meant in my mental model, haha, BJJ mental models. Shout out. <laughs> they don't need a shout out as, no. as a podcast. Um, for those that don't if know. If you're listening to us and you want a quality yeah, <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it's BJJ mental models. They're the, like, I think they're number one. Anyway, um, by that, that was a missing link for my mental model is, hang on a minute, like, I need to start understanding the human body and just biomechanics, right? Not again, not into details. I don't need to know the names of all the bones and things like that, but understanding, oh, wrists don't bend that way, you know, but a little bit more sophisticated than that. Yeah, And yeah, yeah. it has, you know, even in the short time that I've really come to that realization, now that I understand a bit more biomechanics and I understand more concepts, when you present a new scenario, a new position, I can start to see, even if it's like brand spanking new, I can start to see relationships to other concepts that I know. For sure, right? Yeah. And then that makes your jiu-jitsu so much easier, so much easier. And it can't be overstated because you, like anything in life, when you become experienced at something, it's very easy to take for granted your knowledge or to forget, or it's very easy to, to forget that the beginners don't, things that are very obvious to you, aren't obvious to other people. So it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh, is it? It's got a name, yeah. Yeah, right. So because you see beginners not understand the mechanics of, of the human body and that goes not just as far as them not being able to apply things correctly, but it goes yeah. as far as hurting their yeah. training partner. Or themselves. Or themselves, right? Because, you know, the reason I almost never have a day one beginner role is not because my students will hurt them. I know my students won't hurt them, but it's this person who's not used to grappling and then they try to do a movement that they're very physically capable of doing, but not with 80 kilos on top of them. And then they, you know, they don't need to, they don't even necessarily seriously injure themselves, but I don't want them walking out being like, oh, I tweaked my back. And they never come back. Yeah. You know, right? Because yeah. then they don't understand that, yeah, man, but that was like a lot of talk going through your lower back when you did that movement with that person on top of you yeah. or something, right? Or 100%. they, you know, 
Man, you'd be surprised the, sh- the crazy stuff that beginners do where they could seriously injure someone. I saw someone the other day like with a chin strap. For those who don't know, it's like when you wrap a guillotine, but instead of like going under the neck, you literally like yep. cup your hand on their chin, right? So it looks like one of those- All the time. That's yeah, it so looks good. like like military helmets that yeah. have literally a, a chin strap cupping the chin. Very great control, but they had a chin strap and they were like- cranking on the dudes like like it was something out of a movie and they were going to go watcha and like break his neck oh like the old fucking yeah and i was like bro like like, i don't think you understand how much control and torque you're putting through that person's neck when you crank on a chin strap it's not designed for that because that's very dangerous right there's almost no uh competitive jujitsu scene that allows you to like attack the spine. There yeah. are very few competitions that let you attack the spinal column, right? Uh, and yeah, so I was like, man, you know, because they just don't understand. I got that from Terence. Terence is a is a blue belt at our gym, and he used to chin strap me all the time. The amount of control he would get out of that super annoying. I just like took it and I use it fucking all the time. Yeah. I love it. Give so it a go. yeah, give it a go. Chin straps. <laughs> so I mean, you know, we spoke more about just my advice to me, you know, but I think in terms of if you're a competitor, investing in understanding competitive mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's seeking a sports psychologist or or talking more in depth with your coach, uh, you know, things like visualization, uh, focusing on concepts is, is super important. And that goes as far as understanding biomechanics of the body. And for my personal advice, yeah, definitely I needed to be put myself first a little bit more in the gym, right? Um, uh, you know, I think it's kind of my only regret is not achieving the the competitive, as, you know, goals that I had. I still did well. I'm still super happy. It's not like I'm sitting here all depressed, but, <laughs> you know, like- I'm crying? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you wearing glasses indoors? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but anyway, I, 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 gave, I gave it my best. That would be my advice to me. Yeah, awesome. I think a lot of people- If I can train more, no, I train a lot. I don't think I could even tell myself to train more. I trained so much back then. God. I I mean, for me personally, listening to this, I can definitely take a lot away away from that, particularly the, um, you know, competitive mindset. And we've spoken about that before, but very surface level. So- yeah, I'll I'll definitely be utilizing that, and I'm I'm not gonna be nice anymore. I'm gonna start like <laughs> maybe say hello to you. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Start spitting on my hand yeah. when I shake people's hands. Well, yeah. I mean, when when we have competition training, like you know, man, like people are like in the middle of the role will be like, hey, ads, are you? I'm like, you don't talk to me now, bro. It's like competition training. I don't like Let's it when people talk. Go. I don't, I'm just gonna say on air. I don't like when people talk to me during a role unless it's like if it's like Joey, for example, now black belt. <laughs> I can say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the point of recording, he hasn't been promoted yet, but yeah, by release yeah. he will be. Um, so Joey, when I'm rolling with him, he, he'll have like a hectic neon belly and look me in the eyes and be like, just breathe, bro. Just breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah talking shit. Yeah. That's that's totally acceptable. Yeah, but you, you and Joey also have a very good relationship. Exactly. Like yeah. it's not like he's just some random blue belt who's yeah. smashing you with neon belly yeah, and being be like, like breathe. just breathe, bro. Just breathe. Yeah, he's not know? being a dick. He's It's funny, right? Have to be there. But when people are just- randomly talking to you it's like yeah i don't like yeah it. yeah i mean it's also not it's also not the time yeah exactly. right like dude okay when the timer ends like ask a question or sometimes 
you know, if, if we're competition training and people are supposed to be getting a drink and changing partners yeah. and they come over to ask me a question, it's like, bro, you don't have fucking time. You got yeah. one minute, you know. That's why we need to bring back penalty burpees. Penalty burpees, bro. <laughs> They're coming back. Hell yeah. I <laughs> uh, right. don't even know why I went on that tangent. But if you enjoyed this episode, episode number 45, advice to uh, my younger white belt self from Adam's perspective. Uh, appreciate you listening, particularly if you got to this point in the episode. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to follow us on your streaming platform of choice. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening We're to on this. them all. We're on them all. So go find us, follow, leave a review, all that good gear. And if you want to take your, your support to that extra level, we are on Patreon. We do post some good stuff there, live Q&As, et cetera. Fix your game segment. We, <laughs> didn't, we didn't steal that from uh, Flow Grappling at never, all. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. <laughs> but thanks for listening. Until next time, see ya. Peace.